Um, let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Exodus. Uh, we're looking uh, this evening at uh, Exodus 14 and 15, and I'm actually going to read it out. It's just such a great story. Uh, we need to hear it, hear the shape of it. Uh, this is the next in our series on a rescued people uh, from the book of Exodus, and as we've seen, uh, there really are um, three uh, parts to the book of Exodus. There's the rescue, and then there's the um, revelation, God speaking, and then there's the, the religion in the sense of uh, God meeting with his people, and each of those different elements in the book of Exodus is incomplete. And this, this bit we're reading now is right at the end of the section about specifically about rescue, about God saving his people. And right after this, you get a sense of how incomplete it is, because right after this you get um, from verse 22, which we won't be looking at this evening, but it goes on to talk about how they all started grumbling and everything. Uh, so this is like the end of the bit of rescue, and then there's a, f- a few chapters about the incompleteness of this Old Testament rescue. So it's a great story. It's a story followed by a song. It's all worth getting clear in our minds. Let me read it out for us. So Exodus 14, and I'm going to read to 1521. Um, so let me pray as we come now to God's word. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we pray uh, this evening that you would speak powerfully uh, by your spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Exodus 14, beginning at verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed towards the people, and they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took six hundred chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. 
the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord whom I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them uh, into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots and his horsemen, And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels, so they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh that had fallen into the sea, not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. The blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The flood stood up in a heap, the deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, 
I will divide the spoil. My desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. What an amazing story. Well, so what do we learn from this? Well, first of all, let's just briefly consider why this is important, and then we'll look at uh, what we learn and how we can put it into practice. So there are a number of different reasons why I suppose we could say this is important. Um, Foremost among them, I think, is that obviously this story teaches us about God's sovereignty in salvation. And many people have questions about that. In what way is God sovereign in salvation? In what way does he rule in salvation? And what element does my responsibility have in salvation. And this, uh, this story addresses that. Uh, but in addition, um, many of us wrestle with anxiety and fear. And this story uh, teaches us, teaches God's people, how not to be afraid and why we should not be afraid. And of course, because God is sovereign in salvation, we're not to be afraid. So it's important uh, in that regard as well, because as we look at this story and, and uh, in, um, immerse ourselves in the story, it helps release us from our fears and our anxieties and our worries and our, uh, and our turbulence that this is the kind of God that we worship who is sovereign in salvation. Uh, so there's that reason as well. Not only does it teach us about God's sovereignty and human responsibility, it helps alleviate us from our fears and then I suppose most practically of all, this story helps us with um, the strategy of our lives, the strategy of our ministries, how we win battles. And we've, of course, been thinking about that a lot in the mornings at College Church, that uh, the, the spiritual war that we're in, the spiritual battle that we're in, and the way to fight that battle against, not against human enemies, but against the principalities and powers, 
the way to fight that battle is to be strong in the power of his might. And, and this story um, underlines that message for us that, that he is sovereign in salvation and, and, there, and therefore it teaches us how we fight that battle. And, and so for those reasons, among others, this is an important uh, story for us uh, to consider. Well, what is this basically teaching? Well, I think in summary, uh, the, uh, the message of this story is told for us in verses 13 and 14. There's a principle there in those verses which the story and the song um, elucidate for us. And in, in verses 13 and 14 say this, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So let me put that in an even briefer form. Uh, essentially, what this story and this song is teaching us is the Lord will fight for us, stand firm, fear not. So that's what it's saying. And uh, how do we get there? Well, essentially, uh, the passage we just looked at has two parts to it there's a story. And then there's the song. So let's look at the story first, and then we'll look at the song. Uh, the story uh, tells, very simply, uh, the story of how God's people were wandering around, and the army came after them, the army of the Egyptians, and they were very frightened by this. And you just got to put yourself in the position of the Israelites they're just a very large group of people, but they're not trained military force. And suddenly the Egyptian army, the elite fighting force of the day, comes after them. It'd be like being um, a, 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 a group of people wandering from one place to another and suddenly finding that the, the Marines were after you, the SWAT team was after you, the, the elite army was after you with all their paraphernalia and it's emphasized over and over again their horsemen their chariots you know they turn up with their um um uh, i was going to say ak-47s but whatever the um, whatever the american mach military uh, machine gun equivalent is i don't even know but you know their their machine guns they turn up with their tanks uh and they're just they're scared out of their minds and who would blame them they're coming to get them and the story tells us how God had already pre-announced to Moses, it's all part of God's plan, so verses 1 to 4, God tells Moses to set up this situation so that it looks like the people of Israel wandering around aimlessly, that then, then spurs Pharaoh and the Egyptians to run after them, and, and then um, he, uh, Moses then announces in verses 13 to 14, uh, the, 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 what has already been told to him by God that God will rescue them and glorify his name through rescuing them. And then indeed, uh, as Moses stretches out his hand over the waters, that's exactly, exactly what happens. And the Egyptians themselves begin to realize that something extraordinary is going on. So verse 25, they say, let us flee before Israel for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Even, even the Egyptians begin to recognize that something pretty unusual is going on. Now, you may have questions about this, like, did this, did this really happen? 
And if it did really happen, how, how did it really happen? Uh, there's a, a Christian scientist at Cambridge called Professor Sir Colin Humphreys. And he's written a book called The Miracles of Exodus. And uh, uh, Professor Sir Colin Humphreys is a biblically-minded Christian scientist of a very uh, high caliber. And in his book, The Miracles of Exodus, he describes how, yes, he affirms completely God's sovereignty, but also from a scientific point of view, he traces how these, how these things happened, um, how, how God used the natural elements to make them happen. And there's a hint of that possible way of in, interpreting what took place in verse 21. Well, verse 21, it says, Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And um, Professor Colin Humphreys describes the way that that kind of thing could happen. So you may interpret it that way. In other words, God is superordaining uh, natural processes to make them happen at this precise moment, and that's what took place. Or um, you could say that this is um, sui generis. This is a unique event where there's no possible uh, natural explanation. And like when Jesus turned water into wine, um, there's, there's no... There's no way of interpreting it other than the poet saying that the, uh, the conscious water looked at its master and blushed, became wine. It's just what God did. And either way, we believe this actually happened by God's power at this moment. And therefore... See the salvation of the Lord. The Lord fights for you. All you need to do is stand firm. It's a wonderful picture, isn't it? Stand firm. I was going to say be silent, but we, we probably won't achieve that this evening. Be silent. See the salvation, watch what God's doing. And then do you note, fear not. My father likes to tell the story of uh, a person that he loved to hear preach on occasion who had one of his standard uh, sermons was, uh, he was a naval person, he loved to sail. And he had uh, three points to his standard sermon, was what he called the, 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 the fear not, K-N-O-T, the fear not. Fret not, and um, I forget the third, but it was another not anyway. Fear not. The way to be released from your anxieties, my friend, the way to be released from your fears is to have the fear of God. He fights for you. Stand firm. So the story teaches that. And of course, as I said at the beginning, it's an incomplete salvation fulfilled 
in the New Testament Exodus. So Luke um, uh, describes in chapter 9 when Jesus is transfigured before his disciples, he speaks, Luke says, about his departure, meaning his death and resurrection. But the word that Luke uses literally for departure is his exodus. This exodus is about that exodus when Jesus rescues us from our sin. So that's the story, and then we have the song. The song is uh, very simply divided into two uh, sections, uh, verses uh, up until verse 12. is really verse 1 is the sort of intro and the chorus, and then it goes verse 2 to verse 12, and then verse 13 to verse 18. Verses 2 to 12 are retrospective. It's looking back at what God has done, his salvation, when he rescued them through the sea. Then verse 13 to verse 18 is prospective, future. Now, quite a, part, quite a lot of verses 13 to 18 are in the past tense, but those of you who've studied any Hebrew will know that Hebrew tenses are a tricky thing at the best of times. But despite that, what Moses is doing is he's looking at the future salvation when God's people enter into the promised land. He talks about Edom and Moab and all this. He's looking at it as as good as done. Prospectively, future. He describes it in the past tense and as good as done. Paul does the same sort of thing in the book of Romans when he, in Romans chapter 8, says not only are we justified as Christians, we are glorified. Past tense. Not meaning that we're in heaven, of course, but meaning our glorified state is so certain if we're in Christ because God is sovereign in our salvation. In a certain sense, you can describe it in the past tense. And that's what Moses is, uh, is, uh, is, uh, is doing here, uh, the song of Moses. So those two sections, the uh, retrospective and then prospective, and then the first section has three subsections to it, each divided up by uh, evoking the name of the Lord. So verse 2, the Lord is my strength, my song, that's the first section. And the second section, verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And then the third section, verse 11, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Um, additionally, almost certainly what was going on, remember it's a song. Almost certainly what was going on is, as I said, there's a chorus. So the chorus to the song is um, the, the verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. But then you come to Miriam's part, verse 21, and Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. So almost certainly what was going on here is you have these, um, these two sections and these subsections, and in between, interwoven, you have what um, uh, musicologists called antiphonal singing. We had it earlier. Do you remember when one part of us was singing one thing, Pastor Dua had us do that, and then the other uh, section was singing something else? That's antiphonal, responsive singing. So almost certainly what was going on here was Miriam with the women was singing, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, 
the horse and his rider is thrown to the sea as one part of the chorus. And then Moses with the men was responding, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. You see the way it would have worked? And, and, and then this song of Moses and the way it's done became the pattern for the, the psalms of the Old Testament and the singing pattern of the, of the, of the Hebrews with uh, and the characteristic of Hebrew poetry is parallelism. Uh, and you see this over and over again here. So for instance, verse 6, this is parallelism. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. And then the parallel, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. You see that pattern over and over again, a parallel, a repetition building upon each other. And that influenced all um, subsequent Hebrew poetry. Scholars say, and I'm not enough of, uh, I'm not an Egyptologist, so I don't know, but scholars say that, tell me, that Egyptian poetry, so where did Moses get this standard pattern from? Egyptian poetry had a similar parallelism. So Moses, of course, trained in the ways of Egypt, uses that style, puts in it the salvation of the Lord, and creates the pattern of Hebrew poetry. Which, of course, tells us there is no holy style. He uses Egyptian style. The Song of Moses is actually amazing, I think, because it's really, well, if you have a Bible, look at Revelation chapter 15, verse 3. Uh, Revelation 15, verse 3, I think I've got it marked here, I do. So now we're in the book of Revelation at the end, and what does it say? Um, All those who have conquered, verse 3, what are they singing? They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, because the, the song of Moses points to the song of the Lamb, saying, great And amazing are your deeds, O Lord God the Almighty. So what does it teach us? It teaches us that the Lord fights for us. Stand firm. Fear not. Well, how do we do that then in practice? Well, let me just conclude with three very simple questions for you. The first question is this. What story do you tell yourself about your life, about the life of the church, about the life of your family? There's a story here of Exodus, the Exodus of the Israelites, the Exodus of Christians. That's our story. But is that the story you tell yourself? We've all got a story, a narrative we're telling ourselves. You know, I came from here, I was born here, I went to this place, I, did this, I studied at this school, I went to this career. What, 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 story, what story are you telling yourself? Is it a story where the message is, the Lord fights for you? 
All I need to do is stand firm. I don't need to fear. What story are you telling yourself? What song are you singing? We all have songs that we love that when we're in the quiet of our own person on our own we can we can hear the song that that fa- that favorite tune that favorite hymn that favorite song that just plays on our mind what does that song say does it say this is that the tune of your life um Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. And then uh, the final question, the third question, what principle do you believe? We've all got uh, principles by which we need to live, haven't we? I have on my phone and on my computer a Google Doc that is uh, what, what I call my personal vision doc. And it has um, vision and values that I constantly adjust and try and get right and get closer to what I think the Bible's saying to me. Because I want to live, I want to be a man of principle. What principle are you living by? I commend that approach to you. Have an overt, like, this is what I'm living by, this truth. And perhaps a good place to start would be the Lord fights for you. I need only to stand firm and I have nothing about which to be afraid. Amen.